0: Hello, this is Pastor Moe, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Bruce Hart. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Bruce Hart. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. If you are new here today, we have been for this whole year up to this point going through the Gospel of John with a series called Walking with Jesus. Now, last week we took a break for Mother's Day. And by the way, next Sunday we'll also be taking a break. Just to let you know, next Sunday the uh, Adult and Teen Challenge uh, uh, Addictive Rehabilitation Christian Group that will be here, they will lead us in worship and song. And uh, share the testimonies. It's always been a good, a good thing. And then we provide a bill for them. Uh, but, so make sure you come next week. Especially if you know some people who may be struggling. Uh, or families that have people that are struggling. That may be a, an encouraging, uh, encouraging time for that. So that will be next week. But today we pick back up where we kind of left off a couple of weeks ago. In John chapter 8. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. Uh, it's also in your bulletin, and then if you have a phone, we encourage you to download the app, and thank you, Ross, for reminding me I forgot to update it, so it it should be updated uh, now at this time. If you open it up, uh, you'll see at the bottom, refresh it, and then you go to Sundays, sermon notes, and all the scriptures there, and uh, it's uh, the, some of the points, uh, because I was a little late getting it, it's not quite as uh, extensive, but... Today, we're looking at John chapter 8, first 11 verses. It's a very touching and challenging uh, passage of Scripture. Chapter 8 is a time in the book of John where things are starting to kind of change a little bit. Uh, John, up to this point, has been really telling the things about who Jesus was, what he did, and the miracles, and all the different aspects. But at this point, we find Jesus is really coming close to this last week of his life. And he's starting to sort of close, close in ranks and to just, well, get down to the brass tacks and to say just what's happening. Who he is, that he is the, the bread of life. He is the living water. He's the lie of the world. Salvation comes through him that he is one with the Father. And that is starting to really rankle and upset the Jewish religious and political leaders. Because they kind of had their system set. Everything was kind of status quo. They liked the way it was going. But Jesus was sort of messing it up with this stuff, this talk about faith and salvation and, and righteousness and truth. And so he began to have some rather harsh encounters with the Jewish leaders. Last week, we, two weeks ago, we talked about how he met with them and he, and he just, they, they came against him, but he stood firm and he, he preached the truth. And today we pick that up with, at the, at the end of that conversation, where the, where the disciples and Jesus had met with the Jewish leaders, they had confronted Jesus, Jesus had put them in their place, and they basically kind of a, a tucked tail and ran, they just left. But, only to regroup and come back and try to hit Jesus again. Today we have a, a passage, just kind of a short one today, so let's... as we have been, watch a little video clip from the movie The Gospel of John where they literally use the text itself as their narration. So let's let's watch this little clip here. Then everyone went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach. them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before the law. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Well, as you can see, you can understand, while I call it grace, this is a perfect picture of the grace of God in action, and the mercy and the grace that it portrays today. So let's just jump right on into it, uh, the, the setting of the story. As I mentioned, uh, Jesus had sort of put the the uh, uh, Jews leaders in their place, and they went off and sort of con- concocted an idea. They came, came up with this say, well, maybe we, can, we need to come up with something to catch Jesus. And so Jesus then, after they, they went away, but Jesus went off to the Mount of Olives, and then on the next morning at dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Well, it seems like these two verses may not have a lot to say, but it actually sets the stage for a good bit of what we talk about here. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again. Every day Jesus had been teaching and he started the day off teaching about God and the people were coming to him. I think the lesson that we can learn from this is that we should begin each day by focusing on God and it should be an ongoing discipline in our life. Now, you may read your Bible a couple times a week or in the evening or or in the afternoon, which is fine, but I would suggest that every one of us here start off the first thing in the morning Reading some scripture, praying and seeking the Lord. Coming to him first in the morning times. Even if you need to get up a little earlier. Rearrange your schedule some. But it's worth it. Spend the time. That's what Jesus went to teach. If you get up, no matter what time you get up, Jesus is always ready to teach. Middle of the night or early in the morning or whatever. But I encourage you to start your day. And then, of course, be intentional about seeking Jesus. These people came looking and asking what Jesus could do for them, hoping that they would give them some guidance and direction. And they came, most of them, with the right motive. But some people came to Jesus with the wrong motive, even though they may have thought they were doing the religious things, the right things. You know, that's unfortunate. A lot of times Christians will do things thinking, well, this is right, this is best, but It's really not the biblical true passage of uh, understanding of things. So, I want to encourage you. Jesus is waiting every morning. Go meet. Don't leave him alone. Go spend some time with him. Be intentional about it. And have the right motive. So, let's break it down the story. First of all, a woman is caught. In John 8, 3 and 4. The scribes and the Pharisees. Now, we realize Jesus was sitting there on the temple The court of the Gentiles out there teaching, and all the people gathered around, and it was nice. They were, it was probably a nice, comfortable morning. The birds chirping, they were probably all sipping on their Starbucks or Jerusalem Bucks coffee, and they were just relaxed. And then, all of a sudden, this rowdy group drags in a woman, and they notice, Oh, this is the high priest and the scribes and Pharisees. What's going on here? And what is this situation? So they bring this woman who happened to have been caught in the act of committing adultery. They make her stand right there front and center. They say teacher or rabbi, uh, Rabboni would have been in in the Hebrew. They said to him, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Well, how embarrassing. Have you ever been caught doing something, and he's just like, it just got, uh-oh, I'm just stuck here in the middle, and everybody sees, they know, you, it's just no way around it. This poor woman had been caught in the act of adultery. There was no way around it. Everybody knew that it was wrong then, just like they knew it was wrong 2,000 years before that, when it was written, and now 2,000 years later, adultery is still wrong. It's still something that, in God's eyes, is, is uh, disappointing and, and uh, disobedient. But we find this situation here. The scribes came to Jesus. Now, I want to give you two scenarios. And, of course, the next verse is going to clarify it for us. But, uh, and I think you'll probably guess which one is right. Why do you think the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus? Do you think that... They had heard Jesus teach and they had heard his wise words and they were kind of stumped over this issue. So they came to Jesus to get advice and direction. You, you think maybe that was it? That's a possibility. Or is it more likely that they saw this situation as a perfect opportunity to trap Jesus in a catch-22 situation? Now, don't answer yet, because the scripture's fixing to tell us here. And the title of it gives it away. In the law of Moses, God, uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now, they're talking to Jesus. What do you say? They ask this to what? Trapping. So we know that it was a trap. Jesus was not caught by surprise. He's never caught by surprise. Nothing surprises him. He's always ready. He's as though saying, you know, God's always on time, never early, never late. Right on time. He always has the right things to say and he knows what to do. So they came to Jesus. Now the people had come too. Now remember, one of the points was we are to come to Jesus with the right motive. They came to Jesus too. But their motive was not right. They did not come to, to hear, respond and submit and listen. They came to accuse and trap. And they saw this as a perfect example. And, and really it is. I mean, you have to give it. You know, if, if you are into being conniving and sly and sneaky and controlling, man, these dudes were on top of their game. This was a perfect situation here to trap somebody. So they came, and they put Jesus in a situation, a dilemma. Are you going to agree with him or disagree? Because it is true. In the law of Moses, it does say, that if you're called to commit adultery that you should be stoned. Now I think most of us here and especially the world but most of us here are glad that that doesn't take place now or we would have a much less population base in the world uh, because unfortunately adultery does happen. But, so it is true. But the problem here is to stone such women. well, what happened to the men? Huh? Where was the man in this picture? It takes two to tango, right? And I think still takes two to commit adultery, right? So where was this sorry guy that was that was caught? Now, ladies, you would probably say Amen to that was a double standard then, and probably say it's still a double standard now, and that may be true in some cases, but it was wrong then. Those those Jewish leaders, they were. They were sly, they were sneaky, they, they, they did not play fair, and uh, for whatever reason, it was just the woman that they brought, they brought to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus and asked him, well, what are we going to do? The scripture says this. Well, if he agreed with them, well, two problems took place. Number one, what do you think the people around him that had heard about Jesus being such a friend of sinners? a loving, merciful, graceful uh, teacher. What, how, what, what do you think their image of Jesus would be if he said, stoner? Uh, that would just basically, his followers who were following him for his grace and mercy and wisdom, that would, that would really bite into that. But if, if he uh, agreed to, to the death penalty, then the Romans would arrest him. Because then, as is now, the death penalty could only be enacted by the government. And the government was the Romans. The Jewish leaders did not have the right and the capacity to bring the death penalty. That's why they had to go before Pilate with Jesus for the crucifixion. Because they couldn't do it, not by law. So, Jesus was caught in a situation. Does he... Suddenly, his reputation among the people. Does he take a chance at getting arrested by the Romans? Or does he disagree? And then the law of Moses seems to have been abdicated and and turned away from. The Jewish leaders would say, there he is. See, he's blaspheming. He's not following the law of Moses. Because he's not following the law. So this was a catch-22 situation. A double jeopardy, but... As I mentioned before, Jesus is never caught by surprise. He's never rushed. And what did Jesus do? Well, basically nothing. He kneeled down and he started drawing in the sand. Now, this part and then the verse right after it is the only time in the Bible that we see Jesus writing something. Now, technically, if you put him in the Old Testament, the hand writing on the wall at, at Belshazzar and Daniel, Jesus was there too, uh, and the Ten Commandments, when God wrote them on his fingers, you know, God, Jesus was part of that too, so technically in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we find Jesus, uh, the God-man, only one time writing, and we don't even know what it is. Don't even know what it is. But the point is it doesn't matter what it is because that was, that was just a, a point to gather. Jesus was making them come to the conclusion that hopefully the, the spirit and the wisdom would begin to come upon them and conviction would come upon them and they would see. See, Jesus didn't rush into things. Sometimes we feel like we always have to have an answer right now and right away to solve something. But sometimes it's best to just zip it and wait before you go running your mouth about something. Christians uh, run our mouths a lot of times when we should just keep it closed. He rolled on the the ground, but that wasn't going to be accepted. The Jews and the the scribes, they just started hounding Jesus with more questions. He's just sitting there, not worried, not flustered. I think that teaches us something that we don't need to let the world And our external circumstances fluster us and cause us to become in a crisis mode where we have to always react to a crisis. You need to just stop and trust and and listen. Well, the third aspect here is a challenge is made. Okay, Jesus said, you've taken the verse from the last one bringing it here too. Jesus stooped down and started writing. But they kept persisting and questioning him. Finally, Jesus, in his time, remember Jesus does things on his time, when his hour is ready. As I mentioned before, don't tell Jesus what to do and when to do it. That's not our job. Our job is to listen to him and respond. So when the time was right, when Jesus was right, he stood up and he spoke one sentence. One of the most powerful sentences that confronted them. He simply said, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. That's the only answer that could get out of this double jeopardy, catch-22 situation. Only answer, because basically he's saying is, yes, you're right. The law of Moses says stone. So he agreed with that. But then he said, the first without sin, you can throw it. Now, it hit them just like it would hit you now. If you you were confronted, or you confronted somebody with sin in the situation, and said, "Oh, by the way, uh, somebody else steps up and you you've been talking about somebody and their sin," and they say, "Well, uh, have you you ever committed a sin? Have you ever fallen short and been disobedient?" See, we need to to look at ourselves. They were ready to judge. On an outward basis, but they did not look inside and realize that they had <laughs> sinned. The Another scripture, Jesus Himself, and a certain amount, says, Judge not, lest ye be judged with the same judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't hold someone accountable and acknowledge a sin. And we're going to get to that point. But the point here is, is their motivation. Was punishment. God's is discipline and correction. He wants to set us back on the path. When he. When he convicts us of sin. Which he does. If you're a sinner. He puts down condemnation. But for us as Christians. Believers. We are convicted. If there's sin in our life. But his motive. Is not to say. You bad girl always say I, I love you but this is, this is wrong. we need to straighten this up for, we need to get you straight on the path we need to do what's right and as soon as he said that I'm sure they just kind of their jaw dropped and he went back to his sand art in the ground now what did he write we don't know some people think maybe he was writing certain sins that the people around them had committed Because, you know, Jesus knew the mind of of people. You know, one scripture says Jesus knew what they were thinking and he didn't give themselves over to them. Jesus knew what they were thinking. It's not that he was a psychic. He was God and he, he knew their thoughts. So it could be very likely that he was writing, you know, adultery, thievery, blasphemy, any number of things in the sand. And when you see your sin written, Can you imagine the power that it hits you and you realize, uh uh-oh, he must know. You know, have you ever thought you you had hidden something in your life, a thing you did wrong, you thought you you hid, but it was known, and it became known, and it just kind of stabs you metaphorically in the stomach. Well, he stooped down and began writing on the ground. And all the people that were there, stones in their hand, as you heard on the, the film, that was kind of neat, you could see them just dropping to the ground. And they turned and walked away. Now, the woman had sinned. And it's not that Jesus is letting her off, but he's setting the stage for the proper way to deal with Problems of sin. And that's where we come to this last part, which is the sweet part. A pardon is given. You can really just call it grace. This is a perfect picture of grace. Jesus is still drawing in the sand. He looked up. and Nobody was there. Obviously not even his disciples. It was just Jesus. So everybody had left. Jesus and the woman. Now, imagine, what would you, if you were the woman, what would you be thinking at that point? Probably didn't even know who Jesus was. But Jesus, you know, it just, it's I wonder what's going to happen now. Just waiting. And he said three things, or two sentences, you know, The said Jesus just kind of breaks it up by two different ones. He said, dear woman, where are those who condemned you, who accused you? King James says, where are thou accusers? Now, Jesus didn't need an answer because he already knew the answer. See, Jesus a lot of times asks us questions, you know, through the scriptures or through the the situations in the Bible. He already knows the answers. But what it is, he's wanting us to carefully evaluate the situation and come to grips with our situation. Jesus is basically saying, you were condemned. And by the way, rightly so. But where are they? It caused her to start thinking and processing and realizing, yes, she had sinned, but nobody, but everybody else had sinned too. You know, some of us, sometimes we kind of get this uh, ivory palace, high and mighty attitude, you know, you know I'm a Christian, and I, I do good sorry sinners over there. We wouldn't say that out loud, but we sort of subconsciously think well, I'm dirty, right sinners. But you see, every one of us here are dirty, right sinners. You know, we're like like the old hymn at the cross that says, a worm such as I. Now, we've changed that to a sinner such as I. But, you know, you know, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short. But praise to the Lord, there is a remedy. There is a way out of the guilt and the punishment of our sin. Every one of us here has sinned. We're no better than that woman who was caught in adultery. Because every one of us here has committed a sin that is just as grave in the eyes of God as that. But the great news is that the grace of God that was applied to her can still apply to us. She said, no one, Lord. She realized, you know, nobody, nobody's condemned me. And then Jesus said these beautiful words that were beautiful 2,000 years ago to her. But if you're a Christian here today, at some point in your life, you, Jesus said those words to you. At your salvation, Jesus said those same words to you neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or one translation says, go and leave your life of sin. Now, let me do a little backtrack here. That is not teaching that we will never sin once we accept Christ. That's not what that's teaching. It's a context is more like go and leave your life of sin. That's really more the accurate translation. But, the concept here is, the woman had sinned. Jesus is not lightening the, the, or making light of the fact that they were sin. The condemnation was still accurate, but he dealt with her in a special way. Let's see some ways that, how Jesus treated this woman and how we maybe could use this example for treating other people who maybe do the wrong thing say the wrong thing, wear the wrong thing, act in a way that we don't think is proper. How do we deal with that? Because as Christians, many of us here, we know how to act, how to dress, what to say, what to do. We know the game, and we can play that game. Because we know the rules. Mostly man-made rules, but we know the rules. But you know, the world out there doesn't know the game. If I ask you, let's go play a game of cricket, most of you would be lost as a goose, as I would. All I know is you get a stick and you hit something, and then you look silly running around. But we don't know the rules. There are people that come to our church and people in the world that don't know the rules. That doesn't mean we throw the rules out. It just means we need to make sure that we handle those situations in the proper way. Firmly, but gently, lovingly, and compassionate. With the idea of restoration, not punishment. We're not here to punish and judge people. We're here to help bring about a loving conviction and to help restore them to truth. People need to know the truth. And Jesus here gives us an example of how to live a life of grace, how to be graceful. Number one, he stood up, he faced her. He came faced with her, a personal encounter. You see, if we realize in our mind, if we could just picture that Jesus is standing in front of your face right now, listening knowing your thoughts, and is concerned about you. You're not hiding anything. You may think you are. But just as he knew the number of hairs on your head, the thoughts you think of, it, he still does now. Jesus is confronting every one of us every day. He's right there with us because he's personal. He cares about us. We don't get rid of him. He is there and he faced her, and then he questioned her. Woman, where are they? You see, if, if there's something in our life, there's a sin or a habit or something, some action or uh, motive or, that you're doing, Jesus is going to face you. He's going to convict you. Now, you may be so distracted by the world, you're missing, but every one of us here, Jesus, well, he's up in your face right now. He's up in your grill asking you, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to love me? Are you going to obey me? He questions us. He calls us to mind. Every time we read the scripture, he's speaking. It's as if he's speaking right there to us and saying, what are you going to do about this? Well, he forgave her and then he challenged her to go and said no more. But obviously between number two and three, something happened that's not recorded. Not not. Not literally recorded. Jesus just doesn't abolish your sin just because he's a nice guy or because you're a nice person. All sin in the world is not forgiven. Seventy percent, mostly, nearly of the world are people who are outside of Christ. Their sins are not forgiven. Now, the blood of the cross on Calvary is capable and sufficient to cover their sin. Amen. But if you don't receive salvation, if you don't ask Jesus, you admit you're a sinner, you realize you're convicted. Every one of us here needs to know we're convicted, condemned. Death penalty, row. That's where we were. When we come to that and realize is that No matter how good I am, because most of you here are probably good. Even if you're not a Christian, you're probably a good, moral person. But that doesn't deal with it. You see, when he asked her, Jesus, I'm not saying he was psychic and read her mind, but he knew what was going on within her. He knew that she had come to a realization that her sin was wrong and that she was genuinely repentant. didn't have to say it. Now, we should probably say that to the Lord. But in this case, he was there with her, and he realized that. He recognized that she had admitted to her sin and that she was without hope and that she was trusting in Jesus alone. He forgave her, but then he said, now, stop sinning. You know, that still applies to us today. When you were saved, if you are saved here today, and many of you probably are, Jesus said to you, you know, I don't condemn you, but by the way, you need to stop sinning. Now, again, I'm not talking about never, ever, ever sinning, but the point that you are making an intentional choice to avoid sin, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to walk in a path that is right and true. Jesus treated her with dignity and compassion. We need to treat people with dignity and compassion, even if they disagree with us, even if they get up in our face, if they say something ugly or threaten us. We still must follow the pattern, dignity and compassion. But he also treated her with total honesty. We can't just let people get away with sin. Jesus is not letting her get away with it. She was condemned and and embarrassed as much as you could be in front of anybody like that. But he imparted grace and hope. And then he forgave her and sent her out to a new life. See, that's the beautiful thing is, no matter how far you've fallen or how bad you have <laughs> sinned, when we trust in Jesus, grace is imparted to us and forgiveness and hope. Grace. As you see in John 3.17, this is right after the famous, for oh God so loved the world, God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save it through him. See, God's main purpose is to bring people, bring you, bring us into relationship with him. To live in grace, to experience grace, to live in it, and to Have you experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Now is the time. This is the place for you to experience God's grace. Whatever disgrace you may have in your life or in your past, the love of God through the blood of Jesus cleanses you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you should just say thank you. For your grace. I was a sinner. Caught. In sin. With all the shame. But you took it away. Thank you. Help me. To live. To live in a life. That avoids sin. That seeks you with all heart. a Christian here today, maybe you could think of someone in your life, in your sort of your network of friends and associates. Well, they may be just living with disgrace in their life. Shame has taken over. Why don't you take the place of Jesus today and offer and extend forgiveness and hope and agree to walk with them away from that sin, into a life of hope. This is Pastor Moak again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard of the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.